Help Children podcast. I'm your host, Callum Stevens. I'm also joined with Mum Heather Stevens, the CEO and co-founder of the charity. And a big shout out to Derek, who's joined with us. Derek's from Audio Bubbles, and he's here to make sure that we sound presentable. Today, we're going to talk about what a session is. We spoke about sessions in our first podcast, but we're going to talk about how that operates. Just for a little bit of background, our sessions are up to an hour when our young uh, learners come. They'll spend time with their pony, they'll groom, and ultimately they're attempting just to regulate their energy slightly in that short period of time. And then it can progress into lead work, which mum will elaborate on later on in today's podcast. So... Talk me through what a session used to look like. So back in the days when we only had one or two kids coming with one or two horses from our local primary school, what did our sessions look like? And later on, we'll talk about what they look like now. Well, if I was to be brutally honest, which I normally am, I really don't know how we got to where we are now with the basic facilities that we had We had our sessions run in the same place that the ponies slept. We do work with an open read set up here. We try to be as natural as we can with the horses, but this meant that the ponies were working in their bedroom and this is not okay for for different reasons. From a health and safety point of view, all dung was taken out of the bed before any children came, but the beds, it was still their bed. You know, it was still a stable at the end of the day. So it wasn't the best. The lighting wasn't the best. The amount of times that we used mobile phone torches to do up buckles on horses' rugs. When you look back, you really think, oh my goodness, how did we do that? And how did, how did people fall in love with our services that much to l- allow us to develop and expand to what we've got now? When it was sunny, we were able to go outside and use outside as much as we could. But in the depths of winter, it was hard. I tend to, or I saw the summer as quite a turning point in our vision that we could see the benefits that the extra space had, the extra light, the leading that we could facilitate in this bigger open space that that started to spark that interest in what could we actually achieve But then we had to go back to winter and it got dark, which was obviously difficult. But that then drove what was to come later on. Well, that's right, because in the summer we were able to increase the number of clients that came in each session. Because we had more space, we were able to use our outside space. The clients weren't on top of each other. So if you had someone who was a little bit excited, having a lot of loud conversation with their helper that would distract the other clients in this small area and especially in the shed where the the voices got trapped with the roof if you like very technical terms for me but when we went outside and we had more space we were still able to increase our numbers and then we had the reality of oh we're doing six children at the moment in each session going to have to drop that back to four Um, that's 
that was a real backward step while we were waiting on trying to get the, the new shed built. And from a development point of view, when you're doing your Oscar reports, it was hard to see the the drop in client numbers when you're trying to prove that this was you were in demand, you were needed, we were a we were a charity going places when you drop back on numbers, but it was because we didn't have the facilities at that time and that was our argument. We needed somewhere to be able to meet the demand. So speak to me about how what the time scale looked like from this really, really dark, wet, damp read that we were working in to starting to look at actually this isn't sustainable what we've currently got it's working at the moment for our four or five clients but realistically if we're wanting to go places I would say that it was quite quickly that we realised I mean all credit to Stuart Robertson who was was a person who came on board as an outsider and helped us to get our Oscar um, accreditation he he saw what we had. At that point, he was very involved in Hope for Autism. So he could see the, the product that we had, whereas mum and I, we don't want to belittle anything that we thought, but we had ponies that we wanted their love to sh- be sh- shared with young people. But Stuart was able to lead us into your sitting on an, a massive project that will make a difference. And we were like, do you think so? But we couldn't see it outside that box. Mum and I couldn't, whereas Stuart had the vision and got us all involved. So I would say within six months of us sort of starting, we knew that we needed to to expand. But that step was going to be huge. I actually remember us saying, we need a toilet. And Stuart says, well, that's a bit aspirational. But how the children are only here for an hour at a time. How many times do you need the toilet? Well, every session. one At least one of the children would need the toilet. So hence we got our eco-loo, which is just stunning. But I do remember that at the very beginning... The first thing we wanted was an outside toilet and that was a huge challenge. Oh, that's a bit aspirational. We need a porta cabin for offices. Really, that's further down the line, but we needed that now. And then we, whilst all that was happening, we still wanted to get this shed. Where were we going to put the shed? How were we going to get a shed? And how were we going to find the money for it? I think that's really important what you're talking about about Stuart's outside opinion was so influential to our development that we can see the product that we have and go yeah it's really nice isn't it but to be able to go actually taking on his expertise of quite a business orientated brain and stuff like that that was specialties that we didn't have at the time I say we you and grandma didn't have at the time that to look at that and go actually this is a really sustainable project, let's run with it, that you're quite, oh, well, this is enjoyable, isn't it? So I think his input was really, really beneficial. And we we even have new people kicking about the charity on the periphery who can have that kind of input and go, look, take a step back. This is what I can see from here. So talk to me about the shed, okay? Obviously, we are now currently sat in and all sessions are operated from our beloved Fred the Shed. But what was 
because you've already slightly alluded to challenges that we faced. What, how did we get to this? Well, first of all, we had to find out how much a shed was going to cost. So then we, we went to shed people. And we for funding applications, you need at least three different quotes. So then we got the three and we said, yeah, well, we like this, this person because of the whole package that they were going to deliver, X, Y and Z. But by the time when we when we spoke to them to the time that the shed was getting built, I think was about two to three years between starting, we're ready to build a shed. This is where the shed's going to go. This is what we're looking for to actually getting built was three years. And the the whole process changed several times. The shed was initially going out at the back and then it was decided, no, actually it's going at the side. The shed was going to be X big. No, actually, if you're going to make it that big, make it a bit bigger because it doesn't cost that much to make it that little bit bigger. Thank goodness we did go for the size that we went for. So we got the people on board to give us the quotes. Then we wrote funding applications. Then we got rejected. Then we wrote funding applications and it was hard. We At that point, we were looking for £70,000 and we were trying to get people to bite at the apple, if you like, because not many people will fund a full £70,000 project. And bearing in mind at that point, our figures that we were talking about with the clients weren't that many because we couldn't facilitate lots of clients. So it was a bit of a sort of chicken and egg idea that do they really want to give us £70,000? So quite a few applications were rejected. And then we came across the Wooden Spoon uh, charity, the charity for rugby. And they came and we had a fantastic meeting with Charlie Bryden, who was the current chair at the time. And we, we talked about what our charity was. We talked about the vision and we really felt that we had a, a sort of all in one meeting. He he knew what we wanted to do and he, he went back to his board of trustees. But again, they weren't going to fund the whole project and they gave us a substantial contribution, which then left us with, oh, we've got this much, but we still need a lot more. Unfortunately, by the time the shed was actually getting built or by the time it was finished, it was over £100,000 because COVID came, prices had gone up before COVID. And like I say, it took us two to three years from beginning to end. So prices had also gone up. So what was a substantial amount initially from Wooden Spoon ended up being a smaller percentage moving forward. But it was enough for the, they had bit at the apple. And then other charities, Spy Fox came on board, who also worked closely with Wooden Spoon. And they were able to supplement us, which enabled us to get enough to get across the finishing line, if you like. A lot of fundraising was done, people doing kilt walks. We did the West Highland Way. A lot of big charitable fundraising events were were carried out. Even our boy, who was a volunteer, who came from Deafblind Scotland, he did a charity walk for himself around Edinburgh, which was just amazing. A lot of people really pushed the boat out to make a difference, to raise money. If it hadn't been for our supporters, we wouldn't have got over that finishing line. So 
a lot of grey hair, a lot of worry, but we got there. Hence the shed is called Fred the Shed because we just, it wasn't really called the shed very often. It was very, very challenging. We we had a lot of sleepless nights trying to work out how we were going to get to the finishing line. But if you like, in God we trust, and we got there. Excellent. So now we have the shed. Fantastic. And um, talk to me about the capabilities of the shed. So what's included in the shed? How many sessions can we use? Or how many sessions can be operated out of it at one time? Okay, so the the shed allows us to have sessions in pretty much no matter what the weather. Um, okay, gale force winds, a little bit of a challenge. Um, so sensibly, the shed allows us to run sessions regardless of the weather. We have, there is space for 10 horses to be in each session. However, Logistically, can we facilitate 10 volunteers as well as some extra volunteers for each session? So it was, we sort of run with seven, seven or eight clients each time that we do um, sessions. We used to do sessions in the morning, 10 till 11, and then five till six at night, four days a week. Friday, we don't do an evening session, but that was quickly changed what once the shed came and we increased to afternoon sessions because of the demand that we were having from school. And then it was decided that, or it was appreciated that a lot of the school children that we work with can't or aren't in school in the afternoons. So they are on restricted timetable. So they may be in school in the morning doing if you like normal curriculum and in the afternoon sometimes even went home so them coming to us as part of a school activity enables them to be in school for a lot longer so we put on afternoon sessions we started with one a week we're currently running three afternoon sessions a week because of the demand that the afternoons give us Wow, that's really fantastic to um, hear of growth that we've been able to have and how Fred has really helped us optimise a service that we were already providing, but really take it forward. I also want to talk about some other periphery um, projects that we had going on so that we could deliver a really effective session. So we found that during the summer we could use the outdoor menage and stuff like that. And that was really beneficial to the kids being able to do a lot more lead work and being able to have that little bit of exposure to it that we couldn't really do inside in the beds but then we ended up getting paths that were already kind of there but really taken forward speak to me about the paths what are the uses and benefits of that the paths through the fields was an initiative that the restorative justice helped us to build so it was a it was that was also funded by pet plan so we wanted to be able to put these roads in, if you like, paths through the fields, through our trees which were existing to allow our young people to walk with their pony in a controlled environment but also in the open air. So a lot of our children perhaps struggle with space, struggle with being able to follow instructions in a large area, maybe when they go to the park or maybe they don't go to the park because there is a fear that they're going to run away. 
So us taking the pony and the young person out onto the paths round our fields was an element of them being able to control their pony whilst out near grass and being able to control themselves because they were responsible for this pony. Funnily enough, we don't do it week one. We do it near the end of the block when we are comfortable that we have this relationship with the ponies. And for for it's amazing because I've, I've been out there in the winter when we've had snow on the ground and I've taken little ponies, uh, little clients out there with buttons and fudge and we have went on a deer hunt because we've seen the deer hoof prints and the fun, the fun I have, I'm hoping that the children have fun whilst doing it, but the fun that I have following the deer hoof prints is great fun. Also, my dad tends to be out walking the dogs first thing in the morning and if we've went for the walk a couple of times in the snow, we tend to, oh, where did he go today? And again, it's another adventure for these young people. But this, this, these little stories are for particularly young children, which is just great fun. Um, we have seen deer run across us um, when we've been out with the ponies, which is lovely, but it's also a little bit scary for the horses to see a darting animal in front of them. But if they're in the distance, it's wonderful. And to hear the birds tweet is is the children getting used to nature as well. So the paths are used at the end of the block on these lovely dry days or snowy days. Yeah, I think it is a really good opportunity for some of our clients because some of our clients come from deprived areas, but in our cities and stuff or in our towns that they don't get to experience nature at its raw, proper, out there, the wilderness. So it's slightly artificial what we've got, but it's still grass, trees, wind, just that naturalness that they may not get from their bedroom um, their gaming consoles that we're able to provide that within our session and it's yeah really beneficial absolutely because some of these young people like you say they do actually hide in their bedrooms their anxiety is too much to allow them to maybe go to the, the park for a walk or perhaps their parents um, aren't comfortable like I said to take them outside because they because of this judgment, everybody's judgment on the young person or on the parent or carer. So once that relationship is built with the pony and the young person, then we can expand it and we can push boundaries because we know because of the referral that this person tends to be a runner as the, as, as it's referred to. And we know that and we will make that judgment call of can we go for a walk with this young person? And nine times out of ten, the answer is yes. And because of the responsibility and they don't want to let their little pony down, they go for that walk. And it's amazing to see see them being able to do normal things. It's wonderful to see that. Yeah, really, really. Um, something that you touched on that I think we can potentially elaborate on. You talk, spoke about referral forms and stuff like that. For any new listeners who may not know our service very well that the majority of our listeners are people that we're in contact with anyway but someone might be completely new how would they contact with you how would they book in a session what would they expect what are they signing up for well a lot of people tend to make contact first they they would say i've i've heard about um 
your charity or I've read about it, etc, etc. There is a referral on the website which you can fill in directly, but quite a lot of people like to make that contact first. They want to make sure this is the right thing for them. So I'll talk them through what we would generally do. They'll tell me a little bit about their young person, why they want to refer their young person and in the referral we are really looking for the reason for the referral which might be autism it might be that they've experienced grief or anxieties whatever it is and then we need contact details we need medications that they're on and we need some information about the young person such as that they're a runner or they don't like loud noises. There's some of them that don't like the rain, which is obviously a challenge living uh, around here. So we need to be mindful of that because after a session, we take the ponies to the field. Can they cope with that five minutes walk to the field with a pony? Again, most of the time, yes. But there's also some sometimes there needs to be that very important information that the, the young person is perhaps epileptic and what brings on their epileptic seizures. At the moment, we've got a young girl who it's the sunlight. So again, we have to be mindful of that. Um, can she take the pony to the field if, it, if the sun, especially with the winter sun when it's low? These are really important information that we need on that referral. Anytime that our services has not worked as well as it should be is because the referral has not given us the information that we should have known so that we can match the pony to the, cl the client because we couldn't give a bumble type uh, horse to someone who has got autism that, that stims, does arm flapping and sometimes non-verbal because there's different sounds that a non-verbal person has and Bumble wouldn't be able to cope with that. So we need to know as much information as we can on that referral to make the team work. And... Do they just come as a... No, sorry. A referral form will get sent to the parent or the teacher or social worker, whoever it is, and then we will say, right, we don't have a space in this current block. The next block starts in May. We don't really have a wait list because we always get you in. So this block is full, so you're into the next block. So it's not that you're sitting on a wait list until I contact you, I know that you're booked in for the 4th of May for seven weeks. So we negotiate as in, we say, this is when I have the appropriate pony for your client available. When are you available? Obviously, if it's schools, I need to do a school time. And if it's out with schools, is it a five to six session or is it seven to eight? Also, now because of our hub, hub in Uddingston, we need to look at that of the the geography of where the person's coming from. Is it an Uddingston client or is it a Blair Men's client? So there's a lot of thought process organisation goes into making sure that the client gets the A, the right site and B, the right pony. Up at Uddingston, Anne's ponies are a little bit bigger. They're, one of them's round jack size, right, which is eight eight to ten hands high. For our people at home, mum's demonstrating how high that is off the ground. It's about the size of this table. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we can't send three to four year olds up to Uddingston because they have to work with buttons and fudge. That's the sort of guide that we would have there. So again, the referral process allows us to make sure we're putting the right person at the right site and pony. So then we arrange that this is the time you're coming for the person that's maybe booked into the 4th of May. They receive an email to say we'll be in touch near the time. When that time comes, the end of April, we then send a welcome pack which shows the young person who their pony is, who their helper is, a little bit about their pony and then the the, the folder, the pack also shows a little bit about the site that they're going to, how to get to the site, that's for the parents or carers, fantastic toilet facilities that we've got. Um, which most of the young people want to go and investigate what at least once, the waterless loo as it is, and just pictures of their surroundings so that there's an idea before that little person leaves the house of what they're going to. And we find that that is instrumental in getting the young people here. Anxiety is reduced. They know who their pony is. They know who's going to help them before they leave the door. We've touched around it in our conversations today of building complexity and towards the end of the block what does our block look like from week one to week seven or eight obviously we're trying to set individual personal goals per each client it's not going to be uniform not everyone's going to grow at the same pace but what are we trying to broadly achieve in the first couple of weeks in the middle and then towards the end so normally every block is seven weeks long apart from the first one of the year, the January to Easter, which is an eight-week block. It's just a longer-term time, and it kind of works for us to do eight weeks there. So week one is generally about them meeting their pony, meeting their helper, and finding out about their pony. Now, if you listen to our podcast before, you will have heard that it's pretty much all about the pony. That young person is does not get told that they're here because of X, Y and Z. They are here to help this pony, this rescued pony. And that is what the the whole crux of what we do is about. So week one, you might have a child who is quite anxious just because they're coming to something totally new and we want to help them just to get, if you like, grounded and learn about their pony. Sometimes you have children who don't want to come into the area that the horses are. Other times they want to come in and they want to tell us that they are, they've they've done horse riding, they've done this, they've done that. And we have to say, we don't do horse riding here because ponies are rescued. That's not what we're about. We're about helping the pony, helping us to understand the pony and about us caring for the pony. So week one is very much a come, see your pony, get to know it, and start to groom it and learning which brushes we do. And then we tend to take the ponies to the field using our lead work demonstration of how to lead properly and appropriately. Then, if we can, we build each week. Week two, we do similar grooming, recap on brushes if we can, and then we start to introduce some lead work exercises where we're trying to show that the pony is listening to you and that you're listening to the pony. Um, Also about when we walk the pony, 
And then I ask them all to stand. So we, I shout and stand. And quite often the young people are still walking, even though we've told the pony to stand. And the pony won't stop if you're walking. Okay, it's heard the voice stand, but it still wants to walk. So then we're teaching the young people to do what we're saying. Okay, so that it's not just about words. We need to act out these words as well. And again, depending on what the referral process has given us, we would be able to say that's what we're looking for in schools. That when our teacher says that we are to do X, we do X. We don't continue to do what we were doing before. So that's the sort of thing that we would sort of bring into general conversation of what we are doing with the ponies helps in school, outside in life or in, or in the home with your siblings, whatever it is. As we work through the weeks, we, we build on the team. So you've got pony helper client, that's team. So quite often it's team Bumble, team Jack, whoever. And then as the weeks progress, we're looking for us to look at other teams so we would do some walking exercises where we need to let that team go first and we want to go right next and we need to be a wee bit faster so that the next team doesn't crash into us. So it's not all about me because again, a lot of the time people think it is all about them all the time. So it's about opening your eyes to your surroundings and if I go a wee bit faster, I'm helping this other person or maybe I need to slow up to enable us all to go. One of the exercises we do at the end of the this, the block is we, we get everybody to line up and we walk in a straight line to the other end of the shed and the horses' noses have all to be pretty much in a straight line and that is brilliant. It's not a race, so there's never winners and losers, Um but it's about making sure that you're not walking too fast. It's about keeping keeping your horse under control, about encouraging your slow horse to walk a little bit faster. And it helps the young people to see that maybe they are really good at maths, but the person that's sitting next to me needs a little bit of help and we can help and we can encourage. And it's not about me getting to the finish line and getting through my math jotter quicker than everybody else. It's about us helping and supporting people around us. And it's not all about me. And we really bring that into our conversations. It's really great how we're able to mirror these small subconscious ideas that we're saying, let's look at the horses, let's look how we're acting here. And we're, we hear it from school teachers that that then clicks somewhere in their subconscious of, I remember doing that with ponies. I know I can work in a team. I know I can do these skills. That, but it isn't a sit down. You must learn how to work as a team. And it's really, really good to hear those beneficial things that we're able to provide them for future, future life in general. Uh, we heard about it in our episode of Pauline that these skills might not necessarily be linear, but they are just really small foundation blocks for building a stronger life and stronger relationships with those around you. Absolutely. It's about us helping these children to meet their full potential, whatever that looks like. And you can, I 
like to have quite a varied level of need within the session because quite often we have young people who think they've got quite a hard life and they they fight they fight everything because of what they believe but it's quite nice to see other people and what other people have to deal with and that is important in life as well that you might be having a bad day but there's other people having worse days than you. And just to try and get the young people to see out of their box into the bigger world uh, helps them so much in future life. Okay, we're hoping that we get into employment. We hope that they get into universities or whatever it is that they're going to do when they reach their full potential. But all these little grounding stepping stones are to help them get there. Excellent. So we've pretty much brought ourselves right up to date with what our sessions look like. Uh, If you could run me through a couple of numbers, just broadly speaking, on how many clients we had last year or how many clients we're currently got in our blocks at the moment, how many blocks are we operating with? And do you see that as our maximum at Blair Mains or do you think there's still room to progress? Well, when... We started last year, which was January 21. I think we had nearly 80 clients a week between our, our, us and Uddingston. And it's quite mind-blowing that we were at that number. We're actually down to 68 here at Blair Mains and six up at Uddingston. So, okay, we are slightly down in our numbers, but that's because of volunteers. I'm afraid because of the cost of living crisis, people have had to take on more shifts at work to be able to to cope financially. And obviously volunteering is going to be the first thing that you have to give up, especially if you're going to get money by going to a shift. So we have lost some volunteers due to needing to work more. So we've we felt that to make our services better, more structured, we've just dropped back to the six oblique seven clients in each session rather than the eight oblique nine that we would have been doing in January 21. Um, If we have, for example, today, some of our volunteers had to go home because they were poorly, that then makes us short if we're sitting at nine volunteers required. So we're trying to make it better by keeping the numbers a wee bit smaller, but we've increased how many sessions we run within the week. And we're now running 12 different sessions within the week here at Blair Mains to enable us to spread the amount of sessions, amount of clients that we can take and the amount of volunteers that are able to help us. So we're still able to reach around 70 odd clients each week for our eight week block. Yeah, that's really important about the strain that it does have on volunteers in our current climate. However, it just makes us all the more thankful for all the time that we do get given because we we couldn't run without volunteers that we do have. So any bit of help that they are providing is really, really fantastic for us. Just to close up with, you've spoken about welcome packs, which help provide that positive atmosphere at home in preparation for coming to the session and having a really positive experience for those seven weeks. Can you speak to me about the exit package and what the benefit that has until the next time they potentially come and see their horse? 
Absolutely. Our exit package is to help the young person after they leave their session. Some people may only need one session as well as their exit, one block as well as their exit package. Other children are in continuous blocks depending on the level of need that they have. But our exit package is a framed picture of them with their pony And this is taken mid-block so that we can capture the the bond that they have between themselves and their pony. If you do it week one, and it's very interesting when we do take pictures on week one, you can see the fear or the anxiety. You can see the distance between them and their pony. And then at the end of the block, we, we have this closeness and eye contact and the 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 framed picture is such a reminder of what they've achieved during their block. They also get a knitted pony in the likeness of their own pony. So we have boxes of handcrafted knitted ponies, which our friend Christine makes for us. A huge shout out for Christine and her team down in Newcastle or Durham. I'll get shot for that. But I am. She she does our our hand our handcrafted ponies, which you could just see the the. You think that the the young person is going to get his welcome pack and just go oh thanks, but you see this really, if you like, tough on the exterior young boy, and you think he's not going to want this teddy. And he melts when he he gets this little pony. So these little ponies, they can go anywhere. We've had one that's gone all the way down to um, Blackpool for a a trip because of the, the bond that that little boy had with his pony. We also give everybody a rosette to show the achievement that they've had during their block. And this is all put in a PHC gym oblique swim bag so that they can go anywhere and they can advertise ponies help children every time they go somewhere so the welcome the exit packs are amazing and a huge shout out again to christine for her knitted ponies yes fantastic it's really nice to hear that excitement that they feel and also being able to continue that benefit on from the session that it's not a closed cut that's it done over and done with it's uh, evolution for these people that they continue to have that relationship with their pony whether that is until their next block or until they can need to come back there's sometimes the the young people struggle with the last week and sometimes they choose not to come because they don't want to say goodbye a lot of the young people do struggle with goodbyes and they don't they choose not to come if that is the case we will go to the school with the package because we know how much they are hurting and we want them to have that memory of or the beautiful memory of their time here to enable the the benefits to continue rather than them to have taken that choice not to come back they have then got their pony misty in their house at home so that is a huge reinforcement for them and we try to encourage them to come on their last week not because they're getting a package we don't really advertise that beforehand but we really do want them to come for their last week and if they don't we take it to them yeah that's fantastic here about so that's us i hope you've enjoyed that slightly longer podcast however it we felt that it was beneficial for you to get that insight into what a session looks like here at PHC. 
and please like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this and do keep up to date on our social medias for any updates that we provide. Hope you all have a good week and we'll speak to you soon.